The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. Sure. Um, I can't believe Thanksgiving is next week. I know. I'm not emotional. When did In Lieu of Fun just, maybe this is just, oh, we're live. Uh, it's Friday, November 19th. Oh, we're a minute early. Ben, the That's very live. Chevy Chase of you. What? You know, to like not notice that we've gone live and they're like, oh, sorry. Yes, I, I know. Like that's, um, well, that's like my whole aesthetic, except less creepy than Chevy Chase. Um, <laughs> uh, it is Friday, November 19th, 4.59 p.m. We are a minute before five o'clock. We've started the show early. And I had a Chevy Chase moment of not realizing going live because the blue go live button likes me so much these days, Ben, that it just immediately goes live. It's just there waiting for me when I go over to YouTube and then it goes live. I know. Um, it is... Um, it is kind of a... Day? It, was a it was a day. Oh, it's Month? cheese day. Year? I said that already. I said the Friday November no, 19th. I don't, I don't. Yeah. You did? Oh, um, okay. Sorry. My, my bad. Then, it's cheese night, guys. But I already ate all my cheese. It's cheese night. I've like barely eaten anything because I've just been working and in this hole. So I'm not going to be very great company today, I feel like. Um, but uh, we have to talk about what we're doing for Thanksgiving because as GDF was just mentioning, um, and I'm traveling, so that's going to be a little bit difficult. Do we want to just take the week off? Ben? Hmm. Well, I think we should have a poll. Oh, Mike's coming on. Yay. Oh, good. So um, when are you traveling, KK? Monday. And then, like, Friday. Hmm. So two different. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think maybe we should just take the week off. Do we have anything yeah. scheduled for next week? No, that's um, the other reason. Um, I kind of, um, I just also like, I have to be honest, like I have to finish a bunch a of work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you say? Be, that would, it would be like revolutionary. To, we've never taken a week off. That would be kind I of know. Like revolutionary. I think it would be healthy. I feel like we've been kind of strung out. Genevieve had a whole baby. Scott has been teaching in person. Yeah, Ooh, I know. Too that would be weird. Way too Solomon. Yeah. Um, Scott is currently I have, on a train. Yeah, Scott's been traveling back and forth. He's been... Um, um, he's been... Uh, I just want to point out that saying, have, saying that Genevieve has had a whole baby implies that some, like, often people have... Have half half babies or yeah, but I, I meant it. I meant it like and like the like the like it's a whole yeah. like that's a whole thing. Like it's like a whole thing. Like she's like that's how I meant it. But yes, <laughs> it keeps um, going. Like, it's like you think it's done and then it just keeps going. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny how babies work like that. Yeah, yeah. You know? There's no return policy. All right, I, yeah. I think I think um, like let's see. Uh, so far, four. But then we can also take the week to like. Thirty-nine percent is voting against giving us the week off. I just <laughs> want to point out. 
I, I might overrule. I mean, here's the other thing is like, I feel like we have been, are you, uh, we ran out of, we've been like, str- not struggling, but like a little bit out of pocket lately to get guests. I have a feeling that the lockdown is going, I have a feeling that people you're, are going to start. breaking up, Kate. Is really? anybody else? I, I can hear her. Oh, really? Maybe it's my end. Yeah. Um, hmm. Anyways, like I have a feeling that we're about to go through another surge and people are going to be around more. I kind of just think that maybe it's a good idea to like get a bunch of people in the queue for December okay. and plan it out. And then we can do that next week and take next I week think, to plan some stuff. I think we also need to bring back pugilism week. Sure. Ooh. It's It's been a while since we've had pugilism week. And life has been too peaceful. There has not been enough conflict. We need Scott versus Rick Grinnell. Um, that's never going to happen. <laughs> Nor should it. I mean, like, I feel like Scott is actually quite nervous that he crosses like a line. Like, he won't admit this, but I think that he actually sometimes is actually nervous that he like goes over the line with some of his with some of his Twitter persona. Um, and antagonist there was one person crossed the line no i mean i don't know i think he's pretty safe but um uh let me is mike chase here yet oh there he is great our resident defense attorney yes so so convenient uh, but we should um we should we should ask um uh, which week we should bring back? Should we bring back pugilism week or uh, cooking? Yeah, week? we could what have a nice reward home? at like for having giving us the week off. We can have designed a very good week back. Um, it's Mike Chase. Yo, hey, how's it going? How's so everybody? glad that you were free. We're all mean, hanging out. You know, free is a Chase. spectrum. We all fall on some place. You know, I can cancel everything. <laughs> Well, you're, you guys. you're you're less free than Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, I am work. less free. I'm equally free. I think I'm equally. Yeah, free. No, equally no, 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 because you have appointments and shit, and you have clients, <laughs> and he's been got like he's been has well, gotten yeah, rid of true. all that. Well, you he's saw the un- like. I mean, you saw the Onion article, right? The Onion article said that Kyle's been sentenced to 45 years of CPAC conferences. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> That's really perfect. Is that true? That's so terrible. Oh, my God. So, Mike, I, I, I have a really important ground rule question for you about yeah. Kyle Rittenhouse, which is, sure. is the definition of heroism in our society uh, a, equivalent to acquittal? Oh God! I mean, standard. this is right. This is the whole David French thing, right? Like, so that, like, like, like David French has wrote, wrote this article about it, and you know, said no matter what happens, Kyle Rittenhouse is not a hero. Like, juries don't decide whether you're a hero or not. Like, like sorry, no, I love but David I, French, wait, wait but that's I, not I, that great. Uh, I want to. I want to. I want to take the other that. side. I think a, beyond a, like convincing twelve jurors that you are not that the government hasn't proven all the elements of the offense beyond a reasonable doubt yeah, yeah. using only admissible evidence. That's heroic. I think that's the definition of heroism in our society is not guilty. Yeah. I mean, like you're talking to a criminal defense lawyer. So like, you know where I'm going to come down on this. Like I actually, in one area of my life, one area, 
I'm a pure, actually, I'm two areas. I'm a purist, right? Like, get drunk every weekend, purist on that, like, completely. Like, you got to do that. <laughs> but, like, the, no, not really. But, like, the other, but the other area where I'm a purist <laughs> is like, is like, yeah, like, like, I think what happens in the criminal trial courtroom matters. I get the point that you're making, like, completely, completely. Like this dude, this dude is not a hero. Like he dramatically like effed up like every, every, the whole reason that this criminal trial exists is because there is a, just a disaster, like a total disaster. Yeah. Are we not like, am I like fallen down a well and like found myself on like Fox news or something? Like what is happening here that the talking points that we're entertaining at this moment are, is Kyle Rittenhouse a hero? Come on. Like this is, Absolutely. GDF, GDF. This is like it, people are going free beacon has, is going to be right here, and they're going to be clipping this and putting it on like. It's on... a long con. It's a long con by Ben. He's got a punchline. Like, let's GDF, wait for it. You, okay, he's working you, on something here. You've had um, <laughs> uh, criminal procedure more recently than any not, of the rest I've, of us. I've not no. taken criminal procedure yet. No. Oh, you haven't taken criminal. Well, mm -hmm. we're going to pretend you have. All right, um, we'll go with didn't it. Didn't they teach you that? That there, the del the the difference between um, heroism and acquittal approaches zero as the profile of the trial goes up. <laughs> I would say that depends on your news source. <laughs> <laughs> because you know where I'm from, like if you're a nobody uh, and you're convict and you're acquitted, you can still be a scumbag. But if you're famous enough and if the news courses are obsessed with you enough and you're acquitted, then you get to pump your fist in the air like Josh Hawley and you're like, okay. that's the definition you, like, of manliness. Are forgetting like O.J. Simpson? Like, or like, I don't know, a number of people that, that was, like definitely that was did not the become 90s. heroes? It was, that was before Jennifer. Oh, that was the nineties. That was before. No, no, no. That was no, be I was, that was before criminal procedure. I existed. <laughs> I existed during the nineties. I fully existed during the nineties. <laughs> um, oh it was before Paula was born. Yes. But Mike Chase BP. was barely alive then. I'm barely alive now, Ben. I'm barely alive right now. <laughs> <laughs> I will say one of a surreal. Um, things I've ever seen in terms of like heroism and like guilt was OJ Simpson commenting on Carol Baskin and her innocence <laughs> or lack thereof in his mind. That was curious. I want to have a moment to let, I have watched my closest I've gotten to following the Rittenhouse trial has been my occasional four way out of my mentions into my main Twitter stream to look at news. And mostly I have seen Mike Chase just like doing, um, an impersonation of an angry attorney watching idiots <laughs> talk about something that they know more about a, than yeah, like a very good impersonation. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you, I know that you're not really that judgmental of all of humanity's understanding <laughs> of basic, um, of basic criminal procedure and trial acumen uh, and evidence. Um, but were there actually any glaring errors that? I that the but like glaring, glaring appealable errors that like are going to, you know, that are going to surface. Uh, not now, in, no, not now. I mean, we've got an acquittal across the board. There's no appeal. Period. It's done. It's over. Yeah, he's, you know he's, that yeah. whole double jeopardy yeah, thing. Yeah, he's he's, no, he's I know, acquitted. I know. Yeah, he's acquitted. It's over. However, had had he been convicted on even one count, yes, that's right? kind of what I mean. Right. That and that's a great. It's a good question. Right. Right. Uh, so. For sure. I mean, look, the state, 
you know, people say, oh, they're making much of this. Look, the state's commentary on post-arrest silence should never be tolerated, like ever, 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 right? It's the whole reason Miranda exists is that you have this prophylactic warning, right? This is like basic crim pro yeah. stuff. Why do police have to warn you? Because that right is so fundamental, your right to attorney, your right to remain silent, so fundamental that in fact, the Supreme Court has said, look, if you're a police officer and you're about to engage in a custodial interview, you need to warn the person that they have those rights, okay? Post-arrest silence, right, invoking that right, so critical, prosecutors cannot tell a jury that it's indicative of guilt, period, full stop. There's no question, it's not even a close case that that's what the, the lead prosecutor in this case did. So certainly that would have been, that alone would have been, and it was objected to promptly, it was an adequate record was made. That alone is such a grievous error, right? Look, as Miranda defense violation. attorneys- yeah, well, it wasn't a Miranda violation, but right, but it's right. It's 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 it in it, it's 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 its, it's settled, own violation. Right, it's yeah. settled. It's like settled Supreme Court precedent. Look, yeah. as de as defense lawyers, we get into trouble. There's this thing called the golden rule. I can't tell a jury. I am not allowed to tell a jury in my closing. Put yourself in my client's shoes. It is known that that is so fundamental. That's so impactful on juries that they just say you're not allowed to do it. Right, and so I, I think at Empathize the end of the day, with the defendant. Imagine you were going to jail. Would you vote to put yourself in jail? <laughs> like, yeah, let's let, let's watch it through his eyes, right? I mean, there's ways around it, but, but at the end of the day, now, Mark Richards, when you watch this press conference at the end of the trial today, I thought it was actually sort of remarkable, right? Because he is just let, let, let's he's not like he is not a a political figure. Mark Richards is a criminal defense lawyer. Period. That is what he is, and he said on the courtroom uh, steps, he said, "Look." I've tried cases with this attorney Binger before, and what justice is, is justice is supposed to seek truth. And this, you know, when it's not about truth, it's a problem. And it's not about winning, it's about truth. And this became about winning. And I think that really was the problem here is that the prosecutors sometimes, even if they can make a nice tidy case of guilt, they get so obsessed with winning that they do improper things. So I think there, the post-arrest silence comment that was that would have been a, a real problem. I actually disagree. There's this hubbub about this video and all this kind of stuff. I've seen very egregious Brady violations at trial. I was and just going to say that didn't strike me as no. And the judge look look getting a getting a compressed video or a, the prosecutor going oh whoops I thought I gave you the right one. Judges judges always they look at that and they go well I don't think it really affected anything so goodbye. Now the internet made a huge deal of it, but the post arrest silence comment was that was a big deal. Yeah, that was a big. Deal. All right, I have, and have there been what's happened since have there been like what's going on right now? On no, the, so on mostly I mean, it's just it's just going to be getting dark now. So we'll see. I mean, hopefully people stay calm. I don't know that they necessarily will. Um, but, you know, we'll, I guess we'll see. Right. I mean, so far, it's not been crazy. The footage that I've seen, at least from Kenosha, has been relatively calm. So we'll see as the night progresses. Hopefully people can have some peace there. And if there are reforms to be made, hopefully they'll do it in the ordinary course, you know, so. Man. GDF? I have a different question for you about defense lawyer comments, which is what did you make of uh, Mr. Chansley, AKA oh, uh, Mr. Shaman, um, uh, I guess his first name is QAnon and last name is Shaman, but Mr. Shaman has a lawyer who made some co interesting comments about a hypothetical conversation he would like to have with Donald Trump. 
Uh, I'm curious what you made of them. So I thought he was very eloquent in his remarks. Uh, I think judicious use of the F-bomb is overrated. I think liberal use of the F-bomb is wonderful. That guy, so I, I know he was talking about getting a beer with Trump. I would like to get a beer with him because I think that guy, that guy's got some stories to tell. Yeah, so I think what you're talking about is he essentially his comment was, I'd like to have some, I'd like to have a conversation over a beer. I know he doesn't drink, but I would be having a beer. And if I was having a beer with Trump, what I would tell him is that he's got to clean some of this shit up because of what he's, you know, all of all of these people who've gotten into this soup because of his comments. I think that's, a, I actually thought it was a fairly nice position for a criminal defense lawyer to take. Well, wait a minute. I, I think he said I would like to uh, talk to Mr. Trump about him cleaning some of this shit up, up because of the fucking jackasses who've who've gotten into trouble over I, his, that might be better uh, he, yeah. he called his client he called his client a jackass i think that's okay which yeah i think that's all right which is actually un, has the benefit of being true but um there, there, there are I, times if that... my lawyer called me a jackass in public i would be upset yeah except no because there are some look because <laughs> because there are times that you go before a sentencing judge sometimes and you say judge that's i'm gonna true. be candid with you my client is kind of an idiot and yeah. you have to sentence him proportional to his idiocy because, like, he's not like a genius who should have known better. Like, my guy wears horns Men's and furs, right? Exactly. Like, like sentence him on the scale of like what he is, right? Like, <laughs> this this is this was him doing the best he could do, <laughs> right? And so, like, you know, I and I'm not saying that that's that would be the best argument in this case, but no, this lawyer I think was, look, he got his client to a plea which I think is an interesting thing with a client such as this client. The, the fact that a guy who went into the Capitol wearing furs and face paint and horns did not take a case all the way to a jury trial is remarkable to me, right? So there's something about this lawyer that was a little bit magical, and I think it was brass tacks. Look, God, I that like is trials. such a great point. I, I prefer, like such I, a great I, point. I, I prefer trials because I think in a lot of cases they, they matter. But in this case... You know, I think it was really remarkable that this lawyer was able to get to a place where he was at a sentencing without a trial. So that I mean, that that was interesting. So I think the sentence was I think the sentence was too much personally. But that's, again, speaking in an aggregate and based on U.S. Sentencing Commission data, et cetera, what I know about recidivism. I know people have strong feelings about about the case and the matter. But, you know, at the end of the day, I thought the lawyer's remarks were uh really refreshing and actually enjoyable to watch now, i i, I want to ask you a few more questions about uh mr chancellor and the uh disposition of his case sure uh if you so if is dressing like this and i want to say he like as the person who wears dog shirts um i think going into the capitol dressed as a goat is is pretty awesome i can't decide if in the context of a criminal case it's an aggravating factor or a mitigating factor and so i think we can all agree that it's awesome but i'm curious <laughs> like i i'm renewing my objection that this is going to be put on oan and <laughs> And like that, like there's like you are just like I don't know what's going on over there and how much bourbon you've had, Ben. But like now we're like you're just like yeah, rah rah shaman. No, and no, no, like, no, no. I'm I'm trying to think about it. I, I'm I'm actually being totally serious. I think uh, 
it's an interesting question whether him going in this way plays as a mitigating factor or an aggravating factor in sentencing. And so I'm just interested in your expertise on that question. Well, I will tell you that under the United States Sentencing Guidelines, there is a mitigating factor Can called- Can we take this fool down? I don't want to keep staring at this. <laughs> oh, no, no, Ben, I think she meant me. I think she meant take, you, she wants Chansley back up. No, I'm I'm the ca I'm captaining the show so I could get oh, okay. rid of you at any time. Oh. <laughs> uh, just there's a sentencing provision called diminished capacity. And, you know, it's not it's not, not guilty by reason of insanity, right? It's like that's a very narrow, different kind of a thing. And it's not a defense, but it is a mitigating factor where, you know, if you can, if you can bring if you can bring evidence, right, that says that your client has diminished capacity, I'd be shocked. I mean, I just maybe it was just like this horns in the capital. I you know, know. Like, I'd be surprised. Does it, is it evidence of diminished capacity? I would think I, so. I think there's something going on. I mean, there's got to be, need right? Your, you need your client's permission to plead diminished capacity, and you need your client's permission to plead insanity or any type of like, or any type of mental defense. And here's a crazy thing is that crazy people don't like to admit they're crazy. A lot <laughs> like, of times they don't. Of, like, this is. But guilty people even if also can don't. Get them off, but guilty people also don't like to admit that they're guilty in a lot of cases as well. So, you know, who knows what, what could have, what could have happened in this case? I mean, I, and all people I mean, don't want to go to jail. Yeah, that's true. Most people are, are very, uh, they're very averse to going to, to jail, but look, I mean, with Chansley, I, I, I don't know all the circumstances, but I will just say like, you know, he, he was a unique character. And if I'm a judge and I'm looking at him, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this guy's not normal, but he also didn't take the sovereign citizen route. And I think that there should be actually a sentencing credit for that, <laughs> for like, like, wow, you came in here painted with horns and you didn't contest jurisdiction because there's a gold fringe on my flag. Like, that's like remarkable. Like, here's all right. Here's so one, one months, more, you know? one more chancellor question, and then I will yeah. turn it over to GDF. Um, uh, he I gets 41. Oh, sorry, to Kate. No, no, he you gets, go first. He gets 41 months uh, following a plea. 41 months is the low end of the guideline sentence. Um, jokes aside and his lawyer's uh, flamboyant comments aside, did his lawyer do him a service here? Uh, is, is this an example of good representation uh, limiting the bad impacts of somebody's behavior. He's going to spend three and a half years in jail, in prison. Then he probably won't serve all of it. And then he's uh, free to get his life together. Uh, is that a win for him? Or is this a situation where better lawyering gets him a better deal? See, it was interesting. Royce Lambert sentenced him, right? And so, like, one of the first and federal. By district... the way, R Royce is a judge who does not tolerate no. bullshit. No, and and one of the first, actually, I, I, I think the first district court judge I ever met in person is Royce Lambert. Okay, so I met, I was at DOJ for a summer in DC uh, with the 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 prosecutor that I worked with extensively walked me over to the courthouse, and I got to meet with. Uh, Judge Lamberth in Chambers. I found him very delightful, but he doesn't suffer fools at all. He's been on the bench a long, long time. He's gotten extremely comfortable saying things that he wants to say. And in this case, he said on the record, I think he did the right thing because if you went to trial, 
more or less, I'm paraphrasing here, I would have slammed you if you went to trial, which that's causing ripples in a whole bunch of criminal justice reform corners as it should, right? Which is like this trial tax issue. Was it a good representation? Um, I don't, you know, it, it being a guideline sentence, it is like presumptively reasonable on appeal, right? The presumption on appeal is that if it was within the guidelines range, the appeals court is going to look at it and say it's presumptively reasonable. So that's a, the, the, the defense counsel is up against that presumption anyway. The judge knows he can slam him. Plus the judge knows that there's a huge amount of, of, of attention around this case that, that people are not going to want to see leniency here just because of the optics of it and all that kind of stuff and what it represents. So I don't think this defense lawyer probably could have done much better. I'll be honest with you. I think that I don't think he could have done much better. I will say had this not been the U.S. Capitol, had this not been these circumstances, had the conduct been breaking and entering into City Hall in New Haven, uh, right, with the same get up on and everything like that, he, he, I don't think he would have got a custodial sentence. I don't think he would have been locked up at all. But those weren't the facts. So I think that the lawyer, I, I think the lawyer probably got the best possible sentence available. Yeah. Um, Paula. You have a, a a question. Do you want me to untoggle my video or no? Oh yeah, sure. I thought you had it off. Go ahead. Maybe it'll work. Okay, there we hey. go. Hey, um, she exists again. <laughs> I got my computer to work. I just needed to update it. Um, so I was wondering how you have been navigating saying what you know is true, at least on social media, because I've seen people who are very intelligent and have had jobs as high as AUSA say things that I know as a 1L who's been in criminal law for two months to be patently false for like mm -hmm. political clout. And it's mm -hmm. very strange to watch intelligent people say false things. Um, so I was wondering how you navigate that. Yeah, some people so I used to work Paula, with. Paula like encounters real the real world. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy. Like, I I mean, I I understand people will say things, but like, I didn't imagine someone. Jonathan Turley is a tenured professor. Tenure's <laughs> tenure sounds so awesome. I just like I don't know maybe like I just think tenure is so cool. Uh, but uh, just being insulated from the consequences of. Yeah, it's amazing. Anyway, uh, the, uh, the 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 I guess stop the, talking, Mike. Just like <laughs> oh yes, right. That's a good point. Uh, you're right. Uh, no, but I I I think uh, I think you have to sort of like you, you got to know in your heart. You know when you're saying something that's inherently like political, right? You have to be mindful of what you're your your personal biases are and everything like that. But like my whole voice has not been one of i frankly i'm pretty i'm pretty politically agnostic most of my perspective has really just been loyalty to the, the profession of criminal defense and most of this comes from i spoke to the former chief justice of the massachusetts supreme court like the day i became a lawyer this was like you know a bunch of years ago i'm at an event i'm meeting my first you know like like very senior lawyer she's there to talk about the first gay marriage ruling in the United States, right? So it's a group of people that are very committed to equity and like, you know, uh, like justice. And we're all celebrating her because she wrote, she authored the first opinion sort of legalizing gay marriage in Massachusetts, right? And she made an important point. She said, 
there's a lot of young lawyers out here. And I just want to say something. If if you're not if you're not willing to represent whoever the most hated person in America is, you should seriously give thought to a different profession. Yeah, that, and that was the first thing she said. And what she was talking about was she was passing along wisdom that she got back defending the Black Panthers, right? And that was a very different time. And I think we would all agree that people that were making meritorious political statements, sometimes that escalated beyond peaceful activity, got a valid defense from vigorous counsel and that that was a net benefit. And so I've just carried that with me. I've just used that as my lodestar. And so I'm just committed to the defense, criminal defense profession. And I believe in all of its ugliness. And I believe that all of the best Supreme Court cases in criminal procedure were made, generally speaking, with people that you might not want to have come spend a night at your house, right? Like, and so I just think there's a lot of ugliness in the profession. I am, I embrace the ugliness, but as long as I'm, you're committed to a principle and not a, not a, a party, I think you're doing okay. I thought that like a little bit Paula's question was much more like people, people are not always intellectually honest that you yeah. know to be very smart. Oh, yeah. They are nonetheless not intellectually honest. And that doesn't just extend to the principles of going out of your way to represent someone. I mean, like that's a lot, it's a lot lower bar, frankly, to like, but I think that's like, politics, right? I mean, isn't it politics? Maybe no, it's not. No, it Maybe is. it's and a I think that bias, that's, you know, yeah. but that's what yeah. I wanted to answer Paula's question with, which is like, it's just, yeah. Do you mind if I like add on to that? I guess like I also like how to deal with that kind of I'll wait. <laughs> I guess how to deal with that kind of lawyer because it, it was just so stark to me to see someone who's yeah. had such an important position in their career to like I'm a one owl and I know what they're saying is patently false. And it, it's just so strange. Like I don't know how I confront someone if I ever have to in a courtroom with those types of ethics. Cause like I don't want to say it makes me pessimistic or nihilistic, but it's not comforting. I think it goes actually goes back to this. We I'm like jumped on here because we're talking about the Rittenhouse case. I think it's actually an example of what the prosecutors did wrong. Like if I if I was advising the prosecutors on how they should have tried this case, they got strident and they got out over their skis and the defense like in wrestling, like like you learn how to use somebody else's weight against them. Like when they're throwing their weight at you, that's what a prosecutor should have. The defense did that to them, but they should have been able to be more disappointed and more sober and more, you know, just sort of straight. But instead they got flamboyant a little bit. And I think that that hurt them. The, to answer your question, how do you deal with somebody like that in practice? You get disappointed with the fact that what they're doing is obviously misdirection or not intellectually honest. And honestly, when I see a opposing counsel lie to a jury or when I see opposing counsel make a disingenuous argument to a judge, I generally use physical uh, uh, expression not to roll my eyes, but I will take a moment and I will show the court my just disappointment that I have to respond to something because it's not intellectually honest. Most, you have to trust that a lot of, like, especially district court judges, they're very smart people and they're, they're going to see when something's not intellectually honest. But the point is not to rise to that level. Don't meet histrionics with histrionics. You, you just, you just have to let them embarrass themselves and then give the straight facts. So I, it happens all the time though. It happens all the time. So Ben had a different Okay, I want to give it. Yeah. I want to give a slightly different yeah. answer, uh, which is you're assuming that these people are very smart and uh, and being dishonest. And the dirty little secret is that some of them aren't that smart. 
and that you you know you're you're imputing intelligence and cleverness to having held certain positions. It's oh, a good point. Yeah. And um, I think as a general matter, the average AUSA has um, probably a few IQ points on the average American, but not that many. And um, and by the way, there's a you know the bell curve is such <laughs> that the low end of the AUSA bell curve is gets pretty low. There are some pretty stupid people who've had, um, you know, some pretty impressive positions. Need I remind you that the acting attorney general for a number of months in the Trump administration was Matthew Whitaker, um, not a bright man. Um, and so I, I, I do think the, to the tendency to, uh, there are even some law professors that aren't that bright, um, uh, although none at the University of Michigan, um, uh, the um, you know, like like don't assume oh, that the explanation is dishonesty rather than you know that some people just aren't that bright. Yeah, that's definitely true. There's also a different, there's also a different quality and expertise within judges themselves too. Yep. So I mean, that's also something you have to, I guess, account. Yeah. For, oh God. I, I mean, right like the now. one thing you have to remember is like everybody's people say, oh, this judge is like going off the rails. Look, your job as an advocate, your job as counsel is to recognize that like you're not there like to show fealty to a judge. Like there are some times when you actually have to make the judge feel a little bit of pain. If you're really prepared and you're going in and you're representing a client and they're doing something improper, your job is to be prepared enough to make the judge feel the pain that what they're doing is improper. And it's not like saying, I'm going to appeal you and you're going to get reversed. It's letting them see that coming down the road. It's letting them, it's letting, making the record. If the judge doesn't want to let you make yeah. the record, you say, I'm, I'm sorry, judge. I, I need to make a record on this. I apologize. The, you know, this, this, this is fun. This fundamentally violates this principle for X, Y, Z reason. And, and so, yeah, it happens with judges too. Um, but but really, we're all just parts of this like system, and so yeah, you have to make some. Sometimes you make your fe opponent feel pain, but sometimes you have to say, "Judge, look, if you countenance this, or if you tolerate this, you're you're permitting a violation of the Fifth Amendment, or you're 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 permitting a violation of the Sixth Amendment." Um, that's you got to be prepared for that. You don't just you don't just wave your arms and get mad. So. Yeah. I agree with everything that's been said here, especially Ben. You made a really good point that there's not necessarily like these are. Also, I will. I'll make one last point, which is that the forum is different. It is you say one thing in front of a judge, yeah. uh, and you would say another thing in front of like uh, GOP constituency, like there or, or Twitter kind of, or <laughs> right, Twitter. Yeah. Well, right, or but like that is the same thing for like a lot of. Wait people. a minute. So like that's I always share the beast of the day with federal judges yes uh you know and you share it with more federal judges than you know because i will tell you i there was a long time before i started coming on in lieu of fun and before i uh did a podcast with ben uh what is it 30 40 years ago i can't remember it was a long time i was down in dc in, 40 years ago long yeah. time ago and we like before all that, I had like 400 followers on Twitter or less, like maybe like 300 followers. And two of them were my dad because he forgot his password. And so like I, I there was a long time when I knew like every follower that I had on Twitter, except I thought I did. And I was talking to a federal district court judge and they're like, oh, I, I follow you on Twitter. And I was like, oh, you follow Crime a Day. 
They're like, no, 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 I follow you like personally on Twitter. I like your, st your stuff. And I said, but you don't have the, they all have burner accounts. So like you think yeah. you're, you're tweeting, you're tweeting to a ton of district court judges who have these burner accounts. They're watching everything is, you say. So it's, it's almost like the internet is mostly full of dogs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, Ben, exactly. Ben putting truth to truth to that statement. I have a, so I guess to this week, this week seemed to be like a huge criminal defense week for whatever reason. Yeah. There was another really controversial, um, sentencing that happened up in Niagara County uh, near where I'm from in Rochester. I don't know if you saw this, but it was a kid who was, well, he's not a kid. Uh, he was maybe, yeah. he was tried as an adult uh, or he pled as an adult and I'm um, going to put a link to it in the thing, but it was this guy, Christopher Belter, who um, raped four girls uh, when he was 16 and they were 16 and like, um, you know, uh, I actually went back through and kind of like looked at the victim statements and they were pretty, pretty gruesome. And like everything, like this did not seem like something that there, and he pled guilty. Yeah. Um, and uh, the judge sentenced him to probation. Yeah. Off of a minimum of eight. And I'm just kind of like, there have been like, I don't know. There just seems to be a lot of, I'm just kind of like a little, yeah, you have those, you know, you definitely have those. And like the one thing, I mean, one thing that I would heart that should hearten people. I mean, if there's anything that can be heartened when there's like a not, you know, somebody's really victimized or multiple people are victimized and the justice system just isn't is capable, but then doesn't, you know, meet out justice. You know, when that does happen, I will say it is not like precedential in almost any way, shape or form. Like if I had that same client and I went before a different judge and I said, well, judge, look what happened here. They'd say, they may say, I can't believe you're even bringing that case up. And in fact, it's going to motivate me to maybe sentence your client a little bit stiffer because part of my job is, is to send a deterrent effect. And I don't think that the current recent rulings have sent a deterrent effect. So I will say that these outlier rulings, they do get a lot of attention and they probably should. I don't know all the circumstances of that case. It was a state court case, right? It was not a federal case. It was a state court case. It wasn't even state. It was county. County. Like, and, and well, it's, I mean, like. So it's an elected like, it wasn't judge. Even state, yeah, it's an right. elected judge. Yeah, it's an elected judge. He's and in I retirement just, too. He's 70. He's retiring in two months. See, I have the benefit of living in a state where our judges are not elected. I mean, the, 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 these judges are appointed by the governor and they have to be defensible positions, right? To, yeah, and they get up for re-review and sometimes they get removed from the bench, you know, because people have an opportunity to comment to the legislature and say, you, got, you cannot let this Why is person... an opportunity to comment to the legislature different than re-removal on election? It's like removal through election. Yeah, it, it is, except if if more than 50% of the people who pay no attention to anything vote for that person again, yeah. you're not, you don't have an audience with people who may have been attorneys or you don't have an audience, you know, at least with the legislature and granted, sometimes there's some outliers, but at least with the state legislatures in general, I have found those people to like care about like doing the right thing. A lot of them. And so if you're making them publicly defend the judge who's done blatantly improper things, they're much more likely to listen to you than like, 50 to 60% of the people who like do simply won't, they don't pay attention. They'll vote for somebody because of the letter next to their name or because what their sign looked like, or because, you know, some, some bulletin they read in the local paper. So I, I think elected judges are a real problem. I, I do not think judges should ever be elected. I think it's, it's a terrible, 
things. But so I think this is probably an example of that. Maybe this judge was elected, maybe not. But yeah, I will just no, say I'll elected. be the first to admit. Yeah. So there you go. So I, I will just tell you, I think at the end of the day, the justice system oftentimes is capable of providing justice and just fails to. And though I think that's the worst turn of events that there is. Yeah, it did have overtones of Brock Turner. And it's hard not I mean, they're only like so there's only like their small data points, but it is just like is a very weird two high profile cases in which there is kind of a chance to kind of set a deterrent effect through this yep. type of thing. And both times they're not like that actually right. seems like a pretty clear, pretty clear signal to the opposite, which is pretty distressing. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, this is I mean, it's also kind of like this is just the the nature of this type it, of stuff. It also kind of, it, it, I mean, at least for me, it footstops the point that things are very political, even when they're not intended to be. So if you think about the Me Too movement and you think about all the attention that was paid to uh, crimes, sexual misconduct and crime, sexual crimes, and that if this kid had been sentenced during that time, the amount of attention would be... Yeah. completely different the sentence Brock Turner was sentenced during public that opinion. Time. like that was actually during know, that exact yeah. time and he still got off so I don't really think that the public yeah. and that is exactly what judges are supposed to be insulated against is that type of like is that kind of like public pressure or like the public so like but don't you think uh, that the what's, public what's pressure just... in those circumstances can sometimes at least provide guideposts to where the system itself requires of like a fix because I think that's one of the things that I at least I from the little I saw about the different cases we're discussing here were there was commentary on the system as a whole, but a lot of that was just a dislike of the procedure and where the system was actually working the way it was supposed to. And then you have other examples of where the system kind of allows for a miscarriage of justice rather than providing an ample defense to all parties. But that's how you get mandatory minimums. That's how you get draconian sentencing regimes. And, yep. and so that's very yeah. important to avoid that instinct. And I'd worry about that in a case like a Rittenhouse or something like that, right? Is that is that you get an outsized reaction to a verdict, a singular verdict with a singular defendant when you've got tens of thousands of people going through the criminal justice system every year. And then what you end up having is legislators that want to pass a law with somebody's name attached to it and they put some draconian mandatory minimum sentence and it takes you decades. It'll take you decades to undo that damage. So I think that's uh, it's, it's important to resist that instinct, yeah. Right. I mean, so you have the risk on the one hand of um, sort of flamboyantly unreasonable sentences and verdicts in the in the in the uh, lax direction, uh, a la what Kate is describing, uh, that affect um, small numbers of extremely high profile cases. And then the reaction to them risks, um, you know, kind of uh, Eisenhower. No, it's over. It's true. Like it's it's anecdotal, and you don't want to over extrapolate from a couple of data points. And like, and to Mike's greater, to like probably the the frustrating part is that like the people who I think that like a lot of the people who call for criminal justice reform and lower mandatory minimums or non-existence of mandatory minimums or like less jail time overall for people 
um, are some of the people who are would call for those type like would call for criminal justice reform in this area following right. like a decision me. like I want, this. I want very relaxed sentencing rules in general, except for the people I hate most, where I want <laughs> draconian sentences that will satisfy my bloodlust. And I, I don't see what's unreasonable about that, actually. Um, I have uh, two questions for you, Mike, channeling uh, people in the uh, ask a question box, uh, which is how uh, somewhere between annoyed and or outraged should we be by the conduct of the judge in the case? He seemed in the Rittenhouse case, he seemed to lay his political cards on the table pretty early on. Um, he, uh, you know, refused to let the uh, people who were shot to death be called victims, but insisted that they be called rioters or anarchists or arsonists. Um, uh, is this, was this somebody who was uh, zealous to protect the rights of a criminal defendant, or was this somebody who was uh, basically showing substantive sympathy? I'm not going to become popular. I'm, I'm about to become very unpopular <laughs> to hear. Uh, oh, good. I don't. That's I don't, what we're here for. Yeah, like, I, we're here. We're here to to grease the road for to unpopularity for you. Look, to, after to, you, after years and years and years of being in representing criminal defendants and being in positions where I was denied an opportunity to make a defense effectively, right? right? Watching judges who would not grant a defense motion would effectively say, you know, we don't, we don't do that. Oh, I saw you filed a motion for whatever. Yeah, we don't really do. We don't do that. Or I'm, I'm, it's, it's denied or I'll take it under advisement forever, you know, or, or various really meritorious issues. And they just, there was a presumption against merit in anything a criminal defense lawyer did. I don't know what this judge's history is. And I don't know if this is like, He's just, you know, he treats certain kinds of defendants really, really, really poorly or, and others really, really well. I don't know. But I will tell you in the four corners of this trial, which I watched every inch of, I watched every square inch of this trial. I felt that what this judge did was actually allow both parties to put on the case that they intended to put on and let the jury decide. So I you think don't have a problem with the judge's conduct. I don't. And I will tell you on the victim, I will tell you, on, there were a couple of things that I thought were not great. Like if I'm this judge, he has, there's no, he has no need to be commenting on what the media is saying about what's happening in his courtroom, make comments about, oh, I'm Tubin is saying X about me. Just I don't talk about it. Right. I think that's, I, I think that that in, in sort of optics for a judge should not be done. I think that that's weird and it shows a little too much self-awareness and yep. ego which and I a think little is a too much self-consciousness of your public yeah. presentation yeah he's yeah. watching people watch him on the media and he's upset at the mean things they're saying about it yeah but 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 i thought he look he entertained defense motions that could be summarily denied in many 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 cases and and i'll just tell you i think it's a net good thing for defendants in this in this district because if I'm a defense lawyer in there and I now want to make a motion that a that a person in a case should not be prejudicially referred to as a victim in a case, when that's the ultimate issue in the case, the ultimate issue in the case is, is a person a victim of a crime that you, you sh they should not be referred to those terms in this case, agree with it, disagree with it, ultimately, whether they're victims or not, 
But if I'm a lawyer and I'm in another case going forward in this district, it's a good thing because I'll be able to say, you know, judge and uh, in Judge Schrader's case, we filed a motion that this person should not be at the outset of the case referred to as a victim because it bears on the ultimate issue in the case. And uh, so you should grant it too. there's precedent in this jurisdiction for that motion to be granted. So I think that that's a net a net good thing. Now, there's a flip side to that. Should they be referred to as arsonists and looters and, and other terms that are arguably prejudicial? That's incumbent on the prosecutor to make a better case for why they shouldn't be. But remember one thing. Why should you presume that somebody, the relevant issue in this case is were they attacking him the, in a fashion that justifies him shooting them? It's not whether previously they were engaged in arson or looting or rioting. It's were they presenting a threat such that justifies the use of lethal force? Except that the context in this particular trial in which it was allowed, in which it was permitted, the four corners in which it was permitted, was going to be can Rittenhouse tee up evidence that he perceived them as criminals engaged in criminal activity. Now, like it or don't like it, a criminal trial in its purest sense is to determine the mens rea and actus reus, the criminal conduct, purportedly criminal conduct of the defendant. We're actually not litigating as much as it might pain people. We're not in a civil context where somebody's seeking damages. We're not litigating victims. We aren't. We're seeking to establish if somebody's been the victim of a crime. But sentencing is where you start to talk about the gravity of their victimization, you know, the, 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 the impact on them. But we have the presumption of innocence. We have the rule of lenity. All of these things are things that I desperately do not want to see vanish because we're unhappy with a verdict in a case. And so in this case, I think Judge Schrader's rulings, as flamboyant as he was and as improper as some of, you know, as egotistical as some of the comments in the in the voids between uh, evidence might have been, I think ultimately there was coherence to these rulings. And they happened to favor the defense in some cases, but there were plenty of things that he allowed the prosecutors to do uh, in the interest of letting both sides put on their cases. So I'm not as outraged. Okay, so, yeah, I'm not. So John Bordeaux asks um, uh, a related question, which is, you know, uh, uh, Jerry Nadler says he wants to see federal review of this. I assume that means uh, for possible federal civil rights prosecution. Yeah. I got to say, I don't see how that happens here. Uh, he, there's no evidence that he killed these people because they were white. Yep. Uh, and there's, uh, while there is a crossing state lines with a firearm charge, I'm, I'm not sure that that would normally merit, uh, you know, federal involvement. Do you see any prospect? I don't see any prospect of a federal prosecution here. Do you? I don't. There also shouldn't be. I mean, just because they're separate sovereigns and the double jeopardy doesn't apply to separate sovereigns so that there can be a federal prosecution and a, and a state prosecution essentially out of the same transaction. Uh, that, that, that shocks a lot of people. They say, oh, double jeopardy. You know, he's been tried and quitted. But actually separate sovereigns, the federal government and the state government can prosecute uh, for the same thing effectively. There is another couple of charges that could exist. I mean, if somebody could make a case that that he, uh, he was a rioter, that he was attending a riot to do violence, right? That, you know, which some have argued, they, they could make that argument. 
Um, even brandishing a firearm is is considered an act of violence under federal law and, and an aggravating factor. Uh, there are defenses to that, right? If you're engaged in lawful carry, but Look, it's not an independent defense. No, it's not. No, it's an aggravating factor in in a the other crime. So it would be an aggravating factor in connection with this other underlying conduct. To answer your fundamental question, I don't think there should be, and I don't think there will be. I think that a grand federal grand jury and a U.S. attorney would look at the elements and say, I am not convinced beyond a reasonable doubt we can win this one. And remember that they've just seen him acquitted with a sort of a full vetting of all of the facts. I, I think they'd be foolish I, to do I'm it. Not even sure, I'm not even sure I know what he could be charged with yeah. federally. Well, I mean, again, it would be, like it would the, be participating the, the obvious, in the, yeah. Yeah. If, the, if, if, if the dead people were of a different race and it was, you know, perceived as racial violence, then you have a question about, you know, uh, were, was it, you know, is there a potential civil rights, right. uh, you know, kind of Klan Act case. Right. But you have, this seems like a, I, I, there's no such thing as a garden variety murder. But it's kind of a garden variety murder with the caveat that of exactly the type that the federal government doesn't have jurisdiction over. Yeah. With the caveat that it's national news. It's a state crime, period. Full stop. It's a state crime. And, and the fact that the idea of a politician weighing in to say, let's now use the DOJ as for a second crack at it. I think, uh, I, it, look, if you countenance that kind of behavior because you like the results in this case, I'm just telling you the capacity for that to be used in atrocious ways in the future uh, to have that boomerang in really terrible instances is high. I would not encourage that kind of uh, that kind of prosecution at all. Yeah, absolutely. Is there um, I mean, what do you Hang think? Gonna... Do you think that. Oh. Mike left. Did that just happen? Yeah. Okay. Ben, you're muted. Oh, well, well, he's still here, oh. but muted. Yes, and we lost Mike. lost Mike. Maybe he's crossed state lines looking for trouble. Um, I think Mike <laughs> crosses state lines looking for trouble a lot, I think. I, I do think that there is, I don't know, it's been a weird period of kind of having a lot of these cases. I don't know if there's just been like a lot of flashpoints and I didn't watch any of the Rittenhouse trial, so I really appreciate Mike watching a lot of it and kind of lending his expertise. Um, I don't know. I, I do have to say that this is like, man, it is a, um, I don't know. I don't know what the impact of this is going to be. Like, I don't know if it is going to, what is, like, what would you say, Ben? Like, do you think that there was any long-term, like, reaction or kind of uh what was like the long-term impact of like the oj verdict like and him like and something like that like a like a moment where you people watched it or observed it or saw stuff or like so i don't know i don't think oj is a good comparison to this because oj was fundamentally a celebrity case um and you know like there was no larger social importance of the OJ case. It was just, you know, celebrity, former football player accused of killing beautiful wife and beautiful ex-wife's boyfriend, uh, cop, racist, a fun was had by all in watching it. Um, 
and th this is a um, a very different matter because this is actually a outgrowth of an organic expression of across the country of rage and anger at uh, you know shootings of of black men and uh, um, and some black women as well. Uh, it was a, it was a response to police violence, and in that context, this kid does this horrible thing, um, and I think there's a there is a deeper meaning of the in in this case, whatever it is, um, and I think people are interested in it not because Kyle Rittenhouse is a celebrity, but because people want to impute meaning to that whatever it is, and. Of course, that's exactly what a criminal case is not for, um, yep. which is goes back to Mike's original point. And it, it's perfectly possible that Kyle Rittenhouse went there for all the wrong reasons, armed, and some guys attacked him and he acted in self-defense, right? I mean, it, that is actually a possible thing. I, I don't personally believe that, but that is what the jury appears to have believed. Um, and... Um, and so I, I, I think that's not like OJ is less the template here than the spate of cases in the Black Lives Matter universe. Uh, the, uh, the Chauvin case, the Chauvin case, the, um, you know, some of the cases that did not result in convictions, right? And this is part yeah. of a... Uh, part of a spree of cases that represent sort of our collective effort to come to an understanding of this stuff and impute responsibility to this stuff. And this is a weird one because it's it's kind of a collateral, you know, it's not a cop shooting an unarmed black person, right? It's not a, it, it's a, it's in response to police shooting demonstrations, a kid shoots some demonstrators who may have been arsonists or whatever, um, and may have attacked him. And that's a, you know, the, so it's this sort of collateral offshoot of the sort of Black Lives Matter stuff. Um, and it's taken on a great deal of meaning, both because Kyle Rittenhouse represents to the left the ultimate sort of example of the unaccountable uh, white kid with a gun and represents to the right the sort of heroic, inexplicably, the which is my joke at the beginning of the show, the heroic, you know, uh, upstanding white man with a gun willing to protect himself against the anarchists. And, and you know, I think, the case doesn't stand for any of that on either, right? It, it stands for the best the uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin justice system could produce at a particular moment in time in the way of uh, justice under Wisconsin law uh, before 12 jurors. So I, I, I mean, I, I think like we try to make these cases stand for more than they're able to, to hold. Mike? You are muted, Mr. Chase. 
Oh, you can't, Mike, you have to go back. You have to refresh yourself. Refresh, just refresh your, I'm gonna take you out and take you, bring you back in. There we go. There you go. Got it. All right. Yeah, no, I think we should resist that urge, right? To make these cases about things that they're not about. You know, it's like the whole thing about like whenever like somebody's a political figure and like they don't like they just get forced sort of into the the, the 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 discussion. And now we make like Catholic prayer candles out of them. And like we like make everything bigger than it needs to be. It was like, Mueller. hey, dude, are you talking about my Bob? Mueller I am talking about Mueller a little bit because like, because, you know, then he like because I have a Bob Mueller votive <laughs> candle and I am not. Apologizing All right. Don't apologize. But I'm just saying I think that like. You should resist. We should resist that urge because, like, life is like very varied and like it's a it's a imperfect and ugly and all, all this kind of stuff. And that happens in criminal courts all the time. I, it's just a lot of really like, like, like really like the small guy is going to get totally like like steamrolled if the masses start to like force fundamental changes that like do away with justice. Like, worry about the sentencing thing. I also I just. I'm not so sure that cameras in the courtroom were a great thing in this case necessarily, you know, for a lot of reasons, like I'm generally pretty pro cameras in the courtroom. I'm not sure it was great here. Um, uh, do I have Christmas decorations up? Yes, I, I absolutely do. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I, I agree. I think we should resist the urge to, to, to make these things about more than they are. Yeah. 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 We are going to leave it there. We're not going to ask Mike Chase what he is doing with Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving. It's, <laughs> it's not. It, we're oh, not going to press him on this. <laughs> you know, he's not going to. We're not. We're also not going to ask him whether he wears white after Labor Day. Uh, there's going to be no bullying Mike Chase on these fronts. Um, Mike Chase, you're a great American. You're you're a traitor to the country, but a friend of the show. Like, like all good. <laughs> Good defense lawyers should be. Jesus. Um, uh, we will not be back on Monday because apparently we're taking the week off. Um, we will, however, if you have ideas for pugilism week, like a prosecutor who Mike Chase should duke it out with. Oh, Ooh. wait, it's cheese night, Mike, and you haven't made a single cheese crime joke. So on you. Uh, it's a federal crime to sell overly moist Gouda. Uh, so check the moisture <laughs> of your Gouda. Right. Yes. Dry Gouda. Oh my God. All right. I love that you have that. And if you have head. overly moist, if, if you have oh. overly moist, moist Gouda, don't See your sell doctor. it. See Give your it away for physician. free. <laughs> <laughs> we will be back hundreds and hundreds of hours from now. It'll be pugilism. We treat Tweet your pugilism ideas at Kate. Don't tweet them at me. Um, uh, and <laughs> and uh, we will see you then. Have a great Thanksgiving. And until then, Genevieve. We don't have fun anymore. But in lieu of fun, we have Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving. Cheerio. Oh, my God. Bye.